We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Changed. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, we are going to cover all of the details of what was a thrilling defeat at Stoke, 1-0. Uh, we have a full panel of experts to discuss, break down, and otherwise uh, conclude what happened on the day. And they are led by, of course, the captain of our team, Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posing My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woo! I say you are captain of the team because you are short on time and you may not finish the match. Uh, Tim is also in the team today. You can find him on t- uh, Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello. Hello there, indeed. Uh, you survived Mordor, I see? Uh, yeah, just about. Just about. Well, I'm sorry you had to make the trip for that. Anyway, uh, Clive is here as well. You will recognize him by his deep and husky and all-around professional-sounding voice. Clive is on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Well, it wasn't one for the history books, although I guess the history books write down the bad ones, too. So technically, it is one for the history books, uh, not one you're going to want to rewatch. Although, uh, Paul, you will be happy to know I gave it a second viewing. And I'm kind of glad I did, because after watching it a second time, I actually thought it was a better performance than I had surmised on first view. Good so man. We, yeah, Good so man. we will come to that in a moment. But first, I think we have to address the issue of the day, which is really how the manager is setting up the team, which leads to questions about squad contru- construction, which we will come to. Tim, I think it would be impossible to just get past how he's picking the side right now. And after mm. a, a admittedly dicey performance uh, in the opening match, holding his drop completely. In fact, today he's playing for the under-23s, or he's in the under-23 squad. I don't know if he was on the pitch. Um, he was. 
There you go. Yeah. So he's playing for the under-23s. Chambers still looks like he's on his way out. Gabriel has been sold. It is now leaning towards, I think, at least concluding that potentially Kolasinac, or Kolasinac as he wants to say it, so we're going to say Kolasinac, uh, might be a center back for us. Monreal is now a center back for us. Mustafi came back in and did not impress. We have our wing backs, one of whom isn't really even a wing back, playing on opposite sides. Uh, let's mm. start with the back five, so to speak. What is your theory on why he's picking him the way he is? Um, because he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> I mean, uh, boom! I just... <laughs> Let's <laughs> tell me what you really think, Tim. I so, went to you because you're supposed okay, to be the circumspect so what, one, but okay, let's do what, it. What, what I actually think, right, is that basically he's just trying to cram players into the team, um, whether they're in position or not. And um, he doesn't want to make the decision between Oxlade-Chamberlain and Bellerin, so he's trying to put them both in the team for the sake of shoehorning them. Um, I, th I think because Arsene Wenger's been there so long, sometimes we bend over backwards trying to, um, you know, get some kind of logic in his decisions. I, I do have kind of a theory on on Bellerin and, and the Ox, which I won't go into too much because I've written about it this week, but basically... Usually, Arson likes one of his wide players to be quite direct um, and like, you know, like a proper winger almost or someone who takes players on and he likes the other one to be a bit more technical. And Bellerin, you know, he does the combination play. He's, he was brought up as a midfield, as a central midfielder at Barcelona. So he does that nice one-two kind of stuff getting to the byline, whereas Chamberlain's much more meat and potatoes, beat the man, sling it in the box. And if one of them was left-footed, you could argue that they would actually be quite nicely balanced at wing-back. But the problem is they're both right-footed and they're both much, much better on the right-hand side. So I think basically he just doesn't want to make that decision um, between Oxlade-Chamberlain and Bellerin. As for what on earth is going on with the three centre-halves, I mean, in we like I say, we could bend over backwards trying to find some logic, but let's just list some basic facts we sold Gabrielle on Friday. We left Rob Holding out of the 18. We left Callum Chambers out of the 18. And we played two left-backs at centre-half and a right-winger at left-back. I mean, you, you can kind of try and surmise. And, and we didn't have any sort of injury crisis. And we left Per Mertesacker on the bench. And there's no sort of injury crisis. We have the players available where we don't have to do that at all. It's not, you know, against Leicester, you could perhaps kind of make the argument that we were a bit limited, which we were, so fine. But we weren't limited. He just chose to leave players out. And <clears throat> on one hand, sometimes we get a bit too hung up on what players' definite positions are. It's, it's much more about the balance of the team. But you, you can't make the argument that all of these players in, those, in that combination of positions balances the team. It does exactly the opposite. Um, and it made us really quite tentative, particularly in the build-up. And, you know, players that looked quite sh were beginning to look quite sure and confident at the end of last season now no longer do. And, um, yeah, I, I find very little justification for it other than the fact that Arsene Wenger doesn't really like confrontation. He's got Chamberlain, who he really wants to sign a new contract, so he wants to keep him happy. But he's got Bellerin for five years, so that's his horse. And uh, Bellerin tried to leave in the summer anyway, so he wants to keep him happy. And he's politicking um, for the sake of the team. And 
with some players, you can kind of accept that. Like Alexis, I'm totally behind Arsenal's decision to let him go on a free this summer and just have him for the next year. Uh, so I can see an argument for it, although I'd be open to a good offer myself. Um, politicking for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is an absurd situation uh, for a club like Arsenal. And that's not me having a go at Ox. If he's made his mind up to go because he wants to do something else, absolutely fair play to him. I, I see why he wants to do that. And, you know, the club should just draw a line under it. And, you know, costing ourselves three points, trying, you know, not to hurt people's feelings is just, it's an absolutely absurd situation. And I know you can look on the balance of play and say maybe we're a bit unlucky, but ultimately, look at the goal we conceded. Yeah. Um, it was It was a massive symptom of uncertainty both in midfield and at the back and you know for the manager to pick that back three and then come out afterwards and say I wasn't convinced by our central defence today is is absurd and I thought that was amazing amazing that he had such pointed words I I think it's almost his way of saying don't blame me for who I picked those guys could play better than they did it's not on me it's on them he he didn't say the central defence though he he said said central Central defending, by which I thought yeah. he, it might mean the same thing, because he's definitely saying Montreal, yeah, and and uh, I would assume Chaka. But I, but as, I think Paul, his his point in in making that comment, in bringing that up specifically, and calling attention to it, I think is a way of saying this has nothing to do with who I selected. These guys can play better than this. Uh, Tim, you want to finish your thoughts, and then then we'll yeah we'll yeah keep going. just quickly to say this this is end of days stuff. This is the sort of desperate floundering that managers that are trying desperately to fight off relegation and know they're about to get sacked and just start throwing balls randomly in the air. That's what they start doing. But like, all right, to sum up, basically, a good a good like a really good manager anticipates problems before they arrive, and that's what Arsene Wenger used to do. A good manager solves problems, like what Conte, like what Conte did after he lost to us last season. Yeah, yeah. A good manager solves problems. An average manager will go through a bit of trial and error and basically stumble upon something that works. And that's where Arsene Wenger just about got to last season. A bad manager creates problems for his team, and Arsene Wenger created problems for us. And at the moment, he looks like the weakest link to me in the whole club because I think that's a decent squad. I just think it's it's badly managed politically and it's it's badly coached. Strong words. And I'll tell you what, I mean I, I wondered because remember we did stumble onto the back three. It was a flailing solution to the worst ever period of form under Arsene Wenger in his two decades of, of serving as manager. And there was questions this summer about whether he would commit to the back three going forward. And when he bought uh Kalasinac, I thought, well that leans towards thinking he has a plan for this formation because Kalasinac was one of the best wingbacks in all of the Bundesliga last year for Schalke and that, that that was an indication that that was where he was headed. And yet he's brought him in, at least in the first two games, to, to play at center back. And some of his post-match comments about Ox and Bellerin being able to both play left and, and right wingback suggest that he may continue to be willing to do that. Um, Clive... There's another aspect to the way this is being set up, though, and, and I don't think it's getting as much attention, but I think it deserves it. Danny Welbeck had a Danny Welbeck day. He is a dynamic, talented, powerful, pacey player who causes all kinds of problems, but without wanting to diminish his quality, he is Sonogoian, or Sonogoian? 
what what would that be? The adjective there, snuggling, in his ability to squander chances and and not sort his feet out or head out for end product. And I can kind of get behind the idea of playing him because he creates so many good situations. But do you have some issue with the fact that it appears that Lacazette is playing in support of him instead of the other way around? Now Lacazette appears to be an excellent passer and mover, and he did create a brilliant chance for Ramsey with a ball, a lovely chip ball over the top. But, I mean, again, if we have so many players playing out of position and against their instinct, their their instinctive play, shouldn't we at least up front, where you need to be clinical in the key moment, have our, our best finisher playing up front at the top of this, this formation? It's a, it's, a, it's, a big, it's, a big, it's a big answer, mate. Um, when I saw the team selected, I thought this is the most, I tweeted out, this is the most on-the-ball team I've ever seen. Right, So every player we picked had real talent on the ball. Off the ball, I was concerned about. So I wasn't too worried about the balance of the, of the front um, because they move around so much anyway. I mean, as soon as the game kicked off, the, the wing-back swapped over. Um, the rotation between Ramsey and Ozil was, was happening straight away. Ozil was spending a lot of time deep, and Ramsey was high. I said this subject for later on, no doubt. And Welbeck was driving down the sides, and, and Lacazette was coming to the ball and, and combining. I'm not against that. The issue in the game was the right-back channel that the youth had was a disaster. right? And so we were firing into that channel, and that just happened to be where our right-footed wing-back on the left side was in position. So his accuracy on the cross wasn't great. we got Danny Welbeck, who I spoke to you before about his shot preparation, his last stride before he shoots or, or passes is, is terrible. His so- shot selection, shot preparation is poor. So he, has, he lacks composure in the last moment before he strikes a shot. Right, so that so all happened to be in the channel where they were weakest. And I was watching the game thinking, if Alexis was in this channel, it'd be three nil before thirty minutes was up. There was a period in the game, sure, but I watched it twice as well. There was a period in the game from about the fourteenth minute to about the fortieth minute, up until Diaf took a little rest for his little run through, um, when they broke up the game. We had them dead. And we couldn't manage to find the right shot pass and none of the shots really fell to Lacazette and that was the issue and there was an issue there you know we, we talk about Danny Welbeck but it's an issue around penalty box spacing what we did criminally and naively was sensed that they were weak and then we rushed the box too soon we had too many bodies around Lacazette we spent he had no lines of communication he couldn't he couldn't be found on cutbacks we want him to be found we need to leave him the space that's required. And then if he wants to lay it off in the second phase, then we can strike from the edge of the area. But we rushed into the box. White would be the one to score the first goal. And we added to what I call Stokes' barricade. By crowding the box early, you actually put more bodies in when you want to create space in the box. So I felt we were very naive and very schoolboy-like. Danny Wilbert, we know what we get. It's only May, it's only May we were watching the cup final, and he'd roll pushing Louise around and pushing Cahill around on that left channel was massive trust winning the game. Right? So it never looked like scoring. You have to accept it. Right? So when Alexis is there, when Erzul's scoring, and now we've got Lacazette, we don't mind so much. When we don't score, we look at the guy that's got a poor track record, 
poor shot selection, poor pass selection in the last third. I'm afraid we have to decide, really, how if, if that's enough. There is a question mark around him. He does need to improve, and if we're really, really honest, when it comes to the crunch, his goal-scoring record is not improving since he's been at Arsenal. Yeah, I, and, and I mean, I, I love the player because of all the things he gives us. I think in this system where we have one less attacking player and without Alexis and with Ozil not really looking like a goal scorer, it puts a lot of pressure on Lacazette, for example. Um, so I, I think that there are there are question marks about not just you know Danny Welbeck, but about whether this formation makes sense with all of the shoehorning we're doing to to build it, and whether we have the right attacking solutions up there. Um, we'll come to the subject. Oh, Elliot, Elliot, yeah, the, the formation makes sense. The players he's putting in it doesn't make sense. Well, right, no, um, of course, but but that that was my my point. Clive was simply that if we're going to be shoehorning these players in, this isn't the formation yeah. we need to be playing, right? Potentially, yeah. I think he's. Um, I, can't, I keep going back to the cup final. Even when the balance was wrong, but how he used the players in the back line was perfect. He just has gone off. And yeah. I have this theory that, you know, he 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 experiments sometimes. And I, and I heard Martin Keown say some of the weekend. It really struck me. He says that with Jose Mourinho, he creates an urgency. He creates an urgency within the club where you have to win now. And I transpose that thought back to Arsenal. And that's exactly the opposite of what's at Arsenal. We don't create an urgency where we have to win. And what we're talking about now is another problem that Wenger takes too long to solve. Or he or he has created himself. So when you see that as a player, when you see how long it takes to buy the players that we need or to pick the right people in the right formation, you think, well, there's no pressure here. There's no urgency to win. If there was urgency to win, we would put Per Rekazaka at Stoke. Because that makes perfect sense. Right? So there is no urgency, and it comes. It's the culture of the manager who is. He knows he can experiment because there is no massive pressure on him. He's untouchable. There is no urgency. He's too comfortable. There's no urgency. To of we course, don't have he's to under win. pressure. Oh, of he's course, under, he's, he's under massive under, pressure. My God, honestly, he's not. He's not under pressure. A person's oh, under pressure is. is a, a young manager making his way in the game, trying to establish himself. Wow. He is established. He has made over a hundred million Clive, pa- he, pounds he out of the club. He, Clive, it doesn't matter how much he's got in the bank. He was nearly out on his ear last year. He, he knows that. Care, Paul, it doesn't matter. Of course, he cares. Out, he if cares. he loses his job, let, if he loses his job tomorrow, the world won't end for him. Let me mediate the this world just for will one end second for him because it's not just about the money. Well, let me mediate this just for a second because Paul, I want to come to you on, on an issue of the actual game itself. But what I what I would say is I agree with you both in the sense that he, I'm sure he feels tremendous pressure. But the pressure of a man who is approaching retirement, whose legacy in the game is fairly well secure, who has made the money he needs to for his lifetime, who will be remembered and revered, um, but is he's different. made the money either way. No, no, no. That that was my point. My point is that is a different pressure from. A, a Tuchel or a Klopp or not so much Mourinho, but but someone I, I who is agree. still who is still he trying to climb that wants ladder. to win the league. He desperately he d- wants to reestablish us. The pressure to get into the top four to leave the club in a better position, no matter what way you look at it, 
he there is pressure on him. It's massive pressure, and he puts his own pressure on himself. I, so, I don't look. I don't he, doubt that he wants to win. I, I I think these are different types of pressures. Look, we'll come back to the manager in a minute. I want to ask you something, Paulo, because look, if you look at Michael Cayley's XG graphics um, or, or statistics, which I like to use, I think he has you know good consistent numbers there, and and XG is a good way to reference the overall play of the game, even though it you know it is not a hard and fast rule about you know who played well and who didn't. Uh, I think it was 1.4 Arsenal to 0.8 Stoke. Um, so clearly we had the chances. We were the more dominant side. I, I think I heard on Arsblog's podcast, um, if you've ever heard of it, it's called Arscast Sexel, and I recommend it. Um, I think he said that this was the lowest amount of possession a team had ever won with in Premier League history or something like that. We had something like 72% of the possession. And Paul, you can go through it. Welbeck had the header he fluffed. He had the one where he was in on goal with two players on him and couldn't get the, sh- the shot cleanly away, and it was saved. Ramsey had the uh, ball over the top from Lacazette where he took the shoulder barge, which could have been a penalty. Bellerin had the penalty he should have been given. Bellerin had the wide position where he was played in by Ozil and shot straight at the keeper when he maybe could have pulled back. Um there were all kinds of chances. There, there, there are more that I'm forgetting. There were the handballs. Um, Lacazette scored a goal that probably is a good goal. I have some sympathy for that. We can get into the refereeing decisions later, although I have never loved debating them because overall, I think as Arsenal fans, we are going to agree where the bad decisions and the good decisions were, and it's that isn't an interesting discussion to me. But So my, my question to you is, um, when you look at a game like this where it's so easy to fall back on narrative and it is so... Um, easy to Amen, brother. fall back into the the critical ha- the habits of criticism that we have developed with this manager. How do you evaluate this in in the context of the fact that actually this is a performance that on another day should have resulted in three points? Narrow margins. I mean, we were all pretty pumped after the last game, but we were all very clear of the issues there. It wouldn't have taken too much for this to have been an exciting game that we kind of escaped by the skin of our teeth. Um, and that's your your first two games of the season. And last year, we were almost about as suicidal around this point before we went on a 20-game unbeaten run, admittedly not against our tough, toughest opposition of the year. And there were some Champions League group games in there to pad out the numbers. But... While I agree with all of the points and criticisms so far, I think we'd all agree it's the second game of the season. And the failings are the failings. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with any of the criticisms on the manager, the selection. Uh, I think Tim has it spot on or pretty darn close as to the logic and maybe the, the, the false logic of the selection. But you got to give the man a little chance to correct things. Uh, you know, uh, where I might disagree is I think he desperately wants to win this season because uh, it's hell on earth to go through what he went last year. I don't think his heart will take it, and he certainly doesn't fancy two of those seasons in a row. So the the pressure is massive either way. Uh, might be a different pressure to a Tuchel, but it's, you know, he's talking about his legacy that's that's pretty close to his core here. So, um, I you know I, I I think we were probably that hurt like getting kicked in the nuts by Lucas Podolski. And I think I don't think there's anybody who saw that game who didn't just feckin' curl up in a ball afterwards. So I wouldn't even begin to minimize it. But it's still the second game of the year, and 
the manager, you know, we're clearly waiting on a few players to come back. We shouldn't have had to. Those aren't excuses for why that game didn't go as it should. I think he had enough raw material to get the result. Uh, Certainly, it should have been a creditable draw or better. Um, You know, he did make all of those mistakes as listed. But everybody gets another chance. We get another 36. Now, three points can be very, very costly. And it does feel like he built up our hope and that that's, to me, that's part of the reaction comes down to two things. We're seeing the same failings that have tripped us over. And it feels like we were promised some hope that we'd begun to buy into that all got evaporated for seeing those same mistakes again. But, you know, still, it's the second game of the season. Some important players have to come back. The our, Part of what we saw in that front area, that front third was players who had no understanding of playing, well, not no, but not enough understanding of how to play together. Uh, We saw in the back third uh, problems springing up all over the place, and we saw in the middle of the park, Chak and Ramsey and Ozil, but specifically Chak and Ramsey making the wrong decisions at the wrong time. Now, Mm -hmm. all of those areas can improve, but we saw what we saw. So uh, I'm not necessarily contradicting what my... uh, my counterparts here are saying, except to say, you know, uh, I'm I'm hoping we address these for the rest of the season. We have time and we can play have a hell of a lot better in each area of the park. Um, and Arson knows, well, I, I pray to God, Arson knows um, how this movie plays out. So changes hey, have Paul, to be made. You're, you're adding context, right? And the context is absolutely spot on. It's the second game, we've got 36 to go. But... Um, you know, we're, I was just highlighting things that I felt could have made us more efficient in the last third. Right? So, I agree, um, I agree with you, everything you said, Clive. I, I really yeah. do. I think all the criticisms, Tim, Elliot, you... Well, wait, this, I, I don't want to be lumped in with those, those two. Come yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think the criticisms are on the mark. It's the narrative going forward, which, don't get me wrong, if I'm a betting man, I'm probably betting with you guys. But well, well, well let, let me say this too. I mean, look, the, the problem is when you go away, especially going away, you you get a first goal and you can totally change the yep. the way the game is played. Now, I realize we got the first goal against Leicester and we promptly turned that into a two one deficit. But like, you know, if if we put away any of those early chances or we get any of those penalty shouts, the game is played in a much different way. And I actually thought Oxlade Chamberlain played really well in the first half hour, created a couple of really good opportunities. Bellerin got in behind on a few occasions and, you know, maybe didn't play the, the perfect final ball. But, but I mean, it wasn't that It's that remarkable what watching it a second time does, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, well, Oxlade Chamberlain had two. He had a chip over the top and, a, and a, he had a, a ball sort of from the right half space into an intro and entry ball into Welbeck at the top of the box. That was really excellent and led to a chance. But he also took the free kick for Ramsey, which um, yeah, yeah. Ramsey hit against Butland. Yep. We had a period, we had a, we had a 30 minute, 30 period minutes. Where we were untouchable. Yep. And, untouchable. And what Just I would say, oh, sorry, sorry, finish your thought, Clive. Oh, we just we just didn't score, and goals change yeah. everything, don't they? Yeah, I mean, we go in at halftime, one up. We're all really, really buzzing at performance, the movement, the rotation. Listen, the, the drive down the sides. We're not talking about some of these things. I, I absolutely get it, but when it comes down to, it, I'm sure we'll get onto it. There are some, there are some failings there that we just repeat. And sure. when you walk away from a game, 
and you lose 1-0 in a game where you have 77% possession and 17 attempts on goal, you are entitled to a touch of frustration. Of course, and I I will say this. I, I just think the point is when you lose and you lose in frustrating fashion, it is much more fulfilling to cover the failures than it is to acknowledge the successes. And I think this is a bit of a tricky game to analyze only because there were good moments and there were good elements of it. And of course, I am no one... Uh, I am, I'm never going to be confused with a Pollyanna. I am not one to gloss over the failings, and we will get to them. Um, Lord knows. The Lord knows, and thank, thank God for that. But, but so, and Tim, we're coming to you now, but I, I just want to say, I mean, I think where you see the problem with playing players out of position, and I realize Shaka made a, a really bad couple of decisions. The pass was poor to Ozil, and then pinching up, pressing in that situation, allowing three players to bypass him was bad. But watch Monreal. This is what happens when you have fullbacks playing the center most center back position. He tracks what are we gonna call the guy? Hesse? Jesse? Jesse's Hesse, girl? Yeah. Hesse? Hesse yeah. Okay. Uh so Jesse's girl is is coming across him and he tracks him. He does. But he makes the critical error of taking one beat to think about holding the line and letting Hesse run in behind and playing him offside. And he realizes he can't do it, and then he starts tracking him again. But that beat he takes where he can't decide how he wants to to suss out that threat, that gives Hesse the chance to get behind him and in position to get on the ball and score. And I don't think an experienced center back makes that error. I'm not saying you know an experienced center back necessarily gets it right, but I think they have the right instinct there, which is I have to follow this guy and track him all the way. I'm not going to stop and step up. There's no opportunity for that. Um and that's an example of where, you know, these are good players, but, but center back in particular, I think, is a position where why are players better at 28, 29, 30 than 22, 23, 24, unlike other positions? Because developing that experience and that feeling and that sense of understanding of how to defend certain situations is such an important part. Experience is such an important part of the center back position. Um, so, Tim, the, the goal they get, you know, I, I just covered it, and you can certainly cover it a little more if you want to go into the goal. I also then want to come to the substitutions, and I know that's skipping way ahead, but if we want to give the manager a little bit of pass for the lineup, which actually performed relatively well for a stretch of the game, the substitutions felt like almost doubling down in some respect, leaving Ox and Bellerin on, taking Kolasinac out, Kolasinac out. And by the way, yes, we have changed that pronunciation because, as I understand it, that's how he wants to be called. So uh, Kolasinac... Um, taking him out, and then removing the most clinical finisher that was in the team, Lacazette, and leaving the guy who couldn't score for Toffee or shoot for Toffee. Again, don't know what it means, but I'm going to keep using it. Uh, well, back on. For you, were the substitutions a greater uh, error of judgment than the lineup itself? Um, they, were, they were very much on, on brand. Um, I, think, I think they were pretty much the same. I mean, the thing I'd say about the goal is what is, um, and, you know, we're all wise after the event, although I don't think anyone would say that playing, suggesting playing Per Mertesacker at centre-back is being wise after the event. But, you know, what's what's his greatest attribute is his reading of the game, his ability to intercept, you know. He, A telescopic leg there that gets the ball away from it, Hesse exactly, before he gets exactly. the shot off, absolutely. And, and you never know, he might not have been in the right position, he might have been somewhere else, I doubt it, but you know, things play out obviously a bit differently. But And the other problem for Monreal is he's, he's a left-back um, by trade, and you know, Hesse makes the run off of his right shoulder over towards, you know, the right hand, it's, it's not an angle that Monreal is used to dealing with. Um, and I think those two things kind of unravelled in that moment. As for the substitutions... 
um, yeah, they, they were they were on theme. He still didn't want to make that decision between Bellerin and Chamberlain. And uh, listen, I I, pref- I think I prefer Bellerin of the two, but I don't demand that Arsene Wenger agrees with me on that. I just like some sign that he's he's doing something that he's convinced by. Um, you know, how often did we have the Coquelin argument on this pod last year? And I, I wasn't entirely on board with him doubling down and playing Coquelin all the time. But at least I kind of thought to myself, well, do you know what? He believes in it. He's obviously got um, a plan for it. So fair enough. I don't agree with it. But that's that's mm. not a, a requisite for saying you're a good or a bad manager. It's probably best you don't agree with me, actually. But I mean, this, I, I, found, this, yeah, I found the substitutions baffling because... Uh, Kolasinac, he, um, I think last year in the Bundesliga, he played in midfield quite a lot for Schalke last year and he, he ended up with loads of assists. And we saw it in pre-season, his ability to get to the byline and and uh, make the cutback. So if we'd have you know, changed our shape so that he was playing left-back, I don't see that we'd have lost anything, um, you know, any, anything attacking-wise. And you know what, if Giroud's on, fine, take Bellerin off because Chamberlain's much more likely to chuck in a cross. That's, you know, that's his skill. He's better at that um, than Bellerin is. I think Bellerin's better at pretty much everything else. But for that for that moment, it would have made, made sense. And yeah, the, the Welbeck one didn't make much sense to me either. Um, not really sure what... Ta- I, I didn't think Granite Jacker had a particularly good game, but I'm not really sure what... Um, what taking him off at that particular moment? You know, we're trying to find, we're trying to find the right ball, the right pass, and um, we couldn't do it. And before those substitutions, there was a feeling that Arsenal were gaining a bit of momentum. Yep. I know Lacazette didn't do an awful lot, but that, and I think I said on one of the pre-season pods, we're, we're it will take a few games for us to get used to Lacazette as much as the other way around, and he is. Pretty much, you know, he likes to drop deep and, and link play, and he's quite good at that. But ultimately, he's, he's a finisher, and he showed you that. Um, and it was one of the only things he did in the game. But, I mean, removing that uh, that kind of threat, the idea that if the ball drops in the box, and, and what I loved about that finish, it's so instinctive, it's on his left foot, and he's still just, his head is so cool, he just lashes it into the top corner, almost like a reflex reflex and that's incredibly promising and if you're looking for a goal that's something you really really want to then replace that with Theo Walcott and then for the man who you know in in this kind of scenario where Stoke are defending deep I mean Theo Walcott is about as much use as an inflatable dartboard in this scenario there's just no point and then for Wenger to say something about he wanted him to put crosses into Giroud and it's like but you've already got Chamberlain, who can actually do that, by the way. Uh, Theo Walcott, he's never been... that. That's never been his game. He, yeah, he'll get to the byline, and that's fine if you want to say that. We wanted to try and get him behind them or create some chaos, but the justification for it was odd. And um, he, he hasn't really tried to do that since he played alongside RVP. I mean, in this game, yeah, Theo yeah, exactly. kept trying to edge into the striker spot. So Indeed, although I, I think... With, and, and again, I think this is another reason why you know I prefer Bellerin at wing back because he does that combination playing getting to the byline and I think Lacazette um, will will enjoy that quite a lot and I think if we've got Kolasinac doing that as well um, all the better um, so if he'd have done that to provide for Lacazette 
then yeah but I mean we we took him off and and I don't know I it felt like um we completely lost all momentum and that's that's kind of what I was getting at at the beginning of the pod when I said you know at least even a good manager solves problems even if he's the one that makes them but I, I don't know he he created problems for us with the starting lineup and I think mm-hmm. that showed in the first 15 minutes of the first half where we couldn't get our bearings and um it certainly showed in the first 15 minutes of the second half and if you look at how many goals we concede early in the second half it's staggering um only Watford conceded more in the 10 minutes after half time than Arsenal last season so that tells you there's an issue with concentration and that's probably a symptom of the fact that they don't know what they're supposed to be doing half the time yeah um and and, and I think it cost us and and if anything I think we'd have had a better chance of equalizing if it had made no substitutions at all yeah I, I mean I I don't doubt it and I think you know, on a day when when the finishing wasn't working out, it just it was hard for me to understand taking off Lacazette. I mean, Kolasinac, for whatever you think of him, certainly looks like a threat to score and a guy who, uh, in the opening match, did really well when he got into more advanced positions and taking him off and leaving on wingbacks who, even despite some bright starts, had, had faded a little bit. I, I didn't understand that. Um, I'm going to pause here for a live read of a quick uh, advertisement. We'll keep going. Uh, enjoying your summer? spending time out by the pool, but wishing you could have brought your dartboard out with you, that's why we have Elliot's Inflatable Dartboards. Uh, You can bring them out to the pool. You can throw your darts at them. Uh, They are single-use, so you'll want to buy them in quantity. Just hit us up on Twitter, and we'll show you how you can find those. Those will be available on our website. All right, moving on. Uh, I want to get to Clive on the midfield in just a minute, uh, just a second. But, Paul, just really quickly, we're two games in. We had a little bit of a tete-a-tete on the back channel about uh, Kolasinac, where I said my worry, my worry is that he sees him as one of the wide center center backs, and that Ox and Bellerin are going to remain his first choice for wing backs. My fears certainly weren't allayed at all by uh, the lineup and the substitutions today, um, and so I guess I just wanted to get your thought on. What Arsene Wenger is thinking with Kolasinac, one of the best wingbacks in the entire Bundesliga last year, he brought him in and looked like a, br- a brilliant stroke of genius in the transfer market, which you know he deserves credit for. But are you concerned that this may be one of those situations again where it takes the manager several months to to slot him in where he's going to be most effective? Only since you started talking about it all the time. Now, now you got me rattled. Finally, I mean, cert- I'm making progress. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly... Uh... When he when he first talked about Kalasinac, um, he said that he talked about him as being a a wing back, if I remember right, who could also play centre back. So now we've seen his descriptions of players move around on a regular basis. So, but I'm 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 holding on to that with my fingers crossed. I I think the the chips have to fall in terms of. Uh, Bellerin and Oxlade Chamberlain to where uh, the manager uh, realizes that it's one or the other and that they are both best suited to the right wing. Um, but only time will tell on that one. But I, I mean, I've been assuming once we get our personnel back and Monreal is pushed to left wing back. I mean, you know, if Kalasinac is going to play uh, uh, sorry, if Kalasinac is going I'll to play... I'll fix that in post. Don't worry, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Monreal is going to play left centre-back. 
um, then Kolasinac is going to sit on the bench? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that will help further force the issue. But uh, you, you certainly have have me wondering at this point. But it's just it's too early to say. I still think Kolasinac is going to be our left wing back, and. Arson has a problem if he's going to try and keep both Bellerin and Oxlade Chamberlain in the club and happy because neither of them is going to be very happy about playing left wing back. And look, I mean, we are seeing to some extent what happens when you play without your absolute best player, Alexis Sanchez, and arguably the best player in the Premier League, if not, you know, one of the top two or three. And that is on a day like this where we did outplay them, where we did play well enough to get the win, I am confident that if Alexis Sanchez had started this game, that one of those opportunities, one of those attacks results in a goal, if not more. And this is three points instead of zero. Um, and we, we've recognized the issue that you can't just have one goal scorer on the pitch. And that was Lacazette. I mean, there's no other recognized goal scorer. The, the next closest is Ramsey. And that's only when he's in a goal scoring run, which we're still scratching our heads. Well, and he had chances. I, I mean, chances that I don't think he fluffed. I mean, I, I think yeah. tough chances that he, he got in behind. I mean, the, the encouraging thing on the day from an attacking standpoint is the Shaka Ramsey axis kind of did what it was supposed to do in the attacking half, if not the defensive half. So, Clive, I want to get to you on midfield balance because I know this is a big uh, bugaboo for you in terms of what we're doing with our central <laughs> midfield. I think... The Mesut Ozil thing is interesting, and Tim, I want to get a word from you on Ozil uh, in a moment. So, Clive, we're going to skip you and go to Tim. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, yeah. Clive, <laughs> Clive, in terms of, we saw Shaka Elneny in the first game. We saw Elneny's shortcomings. Ramsey came on, uh, obviously got a goal. We saw the difference it makes. And, and I do think, by the way, if you look at Lacazette's chip over the top, uh, negative Tim typically said the only thing Lacazette did on the day was score the goal, which quite clearly isn't true. So, you know, you have to, you have to sort of filter through his, his negativity at times. Um, I'm but, loving the new Elliot. <laughs> it's a ton of fun, isn't it? I've gotten completely off brand. I've never another pod on this. Swear to God, you've watched the game twice beforehand. Well, the, the chip over the top, I the thing I like. I leave this pod in five minutes' time knowing you have me covered. I've got Elliot. you covered. i got your back until we get on the Coughlin discussion and then it's yeah. over. Uh, <laughs> no, Ox had a chip, Clive, but, but Lacazette had, had that beautiful little chipped ball over the top. I think it was to Ramsey. Yeah. Was it to Ramsey uh, or what? No, it's to Ramsey. It was to Ramsey. Yeah. You, you, you watch it again. I'll leave it with you. Uh, I promise you, Lacazette had one. And, but the thing that was encouraging is Ramsey, again, had the great first touch to set himself. And then he took the shoulder charge um, that I thought actually I thought was a penalty. And he didn't, he didn't score there. Okay, but, yeah. so, so what I wanted to, to, to get from you is now that we saw the, the Shaka-Ramsey partnership in this game um, – what do you think in terms of the fact that it looks like we're not in the market for a central midfielder and how we're going to make this system work with the with the assets we have? This is a big topic, right? So, yeah, well, I, I, you know, I mean, I, this is you. We're going to turn I, our mics off. I'm going to go get a drink. You know, fire away, man. We'll play, we'll play some I elevator think, music in the background. Girl from Ipanema, go, you know, do it. Yeah. I think um, for me, I, I'm a son of Patrick Vieira, right? So Vieira, Gilberto... Petit, they're, they're, that's my type of centre midfield. You know, they are watching Chelsea yesterday with the, that guy Bakayoko. I thought he was tremendous. Uh, that's that's my type of player that I like. Right, so we have a different style of player. We have Shaka and Ramsey, who are both excellent players. But I, I think it's not about the players themselves. It's about their psychology and mentality. Right, so um, when you when you uh, actually 
judge a player when you when you're coaching football they they call it the FA DNA driven by what you call four corners right the four corners of the FA philosophy is psychology social technical and physical right the psychology of our team between on and off the ball the transition phase is where we are lacking and that's our issue right so when we when we have the ball we are we are like silk right but when we're off the ball we are we we don't think about off the ball when we're on the ball and i often talk about distances our centre midfield distances are are shocking right so and so on the first on the goal it's not it's a it's a poor thing the way we exit we talked about exit strategy last week what we do with our centre back is we they get the ball and they just dump it five yards forward to Shaka and give him the problem. We should be exiting down the sides, coming back into the centre and then going second phase. If you lose the ball centrally, you're in trouble. If you lose the ball on the sides, you can recover, you can use a touchdown as your friend, you can bounce people out, you can recover that situation. So our exit strategy is all wrong. But what where does the psychology come from in a player where you dump the ball off then you follow it and chase it. And then you look at your midfield partner and he's basically standing offside on the left wing 90 seconds into the second half. <laughs> that means that means our, our manager and his team talk, what, what has he said? I don't blame the players. You're a product of your environment. If that's allowed, then there's something wrong. Especially when the week before we conceded after half time, we conceded 14 goals after half time last season to this season. What are we doing to build our play, set a platform, own the game into the into the second half, and build up a level of momentum to win games? We need to we need to think about how adult we are. You know, I could easily highlight. You know, you know, I watched the game again today, and and I got to say, some of Andrew's football was absolutely brilliant. So I can't criticise the football player. I criticise the environment he's allowed to play in. If he's allowed to do that, there's something wrong. Because you are basically vacating the centre of the pitch in a, when there's one minute after half-time, when there's just no need to do it. And, and also, what you're doing is you're forcing other people to react to your game. So if you ask me, I'll, I'll be honest with you, if you who I want in the last third, do I want Urza or do I want Ramsey? I want... Urzil, who do I want in the middle third? Do I want Urzil running back towards his goal or do I want Ramsey putting a tackle in? I want Ramsey doing that. So I know they were rotating, but in the end, we are as a team, we're not getting the best attributes from our players. So if you know you've got a slow centre midfield partner, the way you counteract that is by keeping distances short. Mm. You don't make them big. I mean, this is obvious stuff. We have to decide, is this what we want? If this is what we want, then let's let's enjoy it. But when you can see the most goals in the top six, the most shots on target last season, you've got to say to yourself, are we trying to resolve anything? I'll go back to my point about urgency. If it takes this long to resolve, there's no urgency to win. We all know we want to win, Paul. We all know we want to win. But it's the urgency around fixing problems which manifests itself in messages to players and messages to fans. And it creates the division. Now, it's only the second game. It's not the end of the world. It can be easily fixed. But it's frustrating when we've all seen the film before. Right? And we're going to lose more games. I just like it to be in a different way. I mean, and so, so the players, I'm not going to criticise the players. It's the environment they're allowed to flourish in. We haven't got an off-the-ball thought 
process. We are an on-the-ball team. And when we don't score, our off-the-ball failings are magnified. And they were at the weekend when really we should have smashed them by about four goals if we'd have been better in the opposition box. So it's up to us, really. What do we want? How do we want to play? Are we serious? Could we survive the Tottenham-Chelsea midfield smashing yesterday? Will we do it a different way? But I do think we need to learn lessons to resolve the problems that we have by being a bit more compact, a bit more closer together, and build play in a much more considered way. And we, I'm sure we'd come out on top. Okay, I'm back. Clive, did you cover the midfield while I was gone? Yes, I did. Okay, cool. No, just kidding. I, look, I think that's that's really good insight, and, and I agree with all of it. And I think you just have to look at, at how their goal developed. I don't think – I mean, look, Shaka's pass isn't great. I think he misreads the run that Ozil's making, and he misplaces a relatively short pass. But yeah. the reality is when Shaka gets the ball in in the middle third, he's alone. He really is alone because Ramsey is bombing forward. And what we're basically saying to Shaq is you better complete 92, 93, 94% of your passes. Because if, if you don't, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, and, and he's not super mobile. And, he, makes the be- and he's not, he doesn't have the best defensive instincts. We know that. So he compounds the problem by thinking, shit, I've given it away. I have to step up here, which is the wrong instinct. And this is where I just think a midfield three for our personnel is better because I think we want Ramsey feeling the freedom to make the runs into the opposition box. We've seen how devastating that can be, but I think Shaka needs a partner next to him who's who's got range and mobility and uh, can dribble and carry the ball forward. So Shaka can sometimes give the easy pass to the player next to him and let him carry it into the attacking phase. Maybe that's... And and you know what? This is where I'm going to bring Tim in a second. I I want Paul to... Paul, Paul, you're good? You don't need your question answered? Yeah, no, I'm good. Well, go ahead. Fire away. Yep. I was just going to make a little observation that maybe Tim can comment on if he saw any of this. But it seemed like there was a period in the game where Ozil kept dropping deep. Like tripping over Chaka, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Now well, because, I understood because why Ramsey he had to. Yeah, but go it, ahead. it looked redundant because he was coming, falling back to do exactly what it is Chaka can do from there. Well, all right. So, so this is what I wanted to get to Tim. And look, this is where I'm going to get pilloried, and and the the, the reviews and are not not going to be Say kind it. to me. Say it. But, but Tim, I mean, is this where look? Mesut Ozil is our most talented player, arguably. It's Alexis or Ozil. His talent is beyond question. But in terms of how we play, our lack of discipline, our lack of organization, and with Ozil being a player who needs tremendous freedom to excel and is, I guess, in that category of luxury player, is this a case where putting a guy like Nabi Keita or Kovacic or someone like that next to Shaka and moving Ramsey into one of the two behind the striker instead of an Ozil... Mm. gets you more. And I don't mean it gets you more because Ramsey's better than Ozil. He's not. Ozil is a better player. Mm. But because Ramsey can get on the end of moves, because he probably is a better goal-scoring threat, because he has a little more energy and tenacity, and then your midfield has more of the balance. Is is that... I mean, look, it, it's not a criticism of Ozil, the player. It's a criticism of Ozil mm. in our system. Is that... Is, and he did seem to work his socks off, no, didn't he? I, mean, I get it. it. And, and in the Leicester forward. game, he, he worked harder in the final 20 minutes than any player. It's the yeah. point of Mesut Ozil is, is that pixie of a player, that pop-up all over the pitch, not about discipline and structure. He needs discipline and structure behind him. He thrived in Madrid with Jose Mourinho and his dour, rigid style where everybody else was doing their exact role. What I'm saying is, 
if that's Ramsey instead of Ozil in our system, Tim, and the midfield partnership is more balanced, do we have a better platform? Because look, it's not more goals we need to win the league. It's fewer goals we need to concede to win the league, right? So what's your yeah. take on, on Ozil's role in this system and, and on the yeah, deck? Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, I've been thinking throughout this discussion, it sounds like what we're saying is we've got to make a choice between Ramsey and Ozil um, because it's very difficult to have both of them together. I, I did kind of think at the end of last season that having Ozil and Alexis together as inside forwards um, made a fair bit of sense and kind of alleviated that problem a little bit because it kind of separated them from the midfield and it, it kind of made them a front three. Um, albeit then you don't have to have like the thorny issue of, well, then do you put Mesut Ozil out wide? You keep him as a member of the front three, but in a fairly central position. Um, I mean, we've spoken before about what's been how You know, Wenger likes to swap his two deeper midfielders over um, between, uh, and, and he was kind of doing it at the end of last season with Xhaka and Ramsey. And then he seemed to make the decision that, no, let's let's give them much more rigid, defined roles, which seem to work. Now it kind of seems like it's Ramsey and Özil that are doing the swapping, and it's not massively new. It has it has happened a fair bit in the past, particularly in games where we've really needed a goal. Um, quite often, Özil is the one to drop and to try and help us to build play, mm-hmm. um, and that and that's what you saw with the goal. Yes, Ramsey was forward, but Özil wasn't, so. Effectively, the, those two midfielders that are usually, the, well, not the same in terms of personnel, but usually we have two midfielders there, and that's what we had. It's just, as we saw, as the goal developed, they're not the guys you want chasing backwards. No. Um, when, you know, when the thing breaks down, and they both made an attempt, it's just that it's it's not what either of them do, really. And what was interesting about Ramsey's game was that he actually won more tackles than anyone else on the pitch. Yep. Um, he won a lot of 50-50s. And, and so the, the way I read it with Ramsey, what's been happening for the last kind of six to seven months, I really noticed it at Preston in the FA Cup last season, is that I think in the first half, he is told very much to sit and to stay put. And look at, um, look at the minutes of his last four or five goals. They're all in the last 10 minutes of the game. Because that's when we can avail of his energy. That's when he really comes alive. Um, because his energy levels don't drop and everyone else's does. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of a game, he still has more energy than most players. But in that last 10 minutes, that's when he can really make a difference. As we saw um, delightfully at Wembley in the cup final. So, and, and against Preston last year, he scored right at the beginning of the second half. And he pushed right up onto the edge of the box. And after he scored the goal, he ran over to the bench and pointed at Wenger. And that tells me that he was told, you know, right, get the handbrake off and go forward a bit now. Um, and that that's probably become a bit more of a regular thing. So like Clive was saying, you know, I think that was very much under instruction that he was up there and Ozil was back. And you can kind of make sense of that on the ball because... Um, you're playing a deep defence like Stoke, I would back Ramsey to find a space and score a goal in there, and I would back Ozil to find a ball um, between the two of them. But, as we say, when we lose the ball, we saw what happened. We had, and, and I'm not suggesting that Ramsey would have done much better in that situation, even if I do think he does have those qualities, and he has shown us that before, but he's 
you know, he's really, really interested in the going forward bit. And it is mm. the best part of his game, but he can do the dirtier side of the game. So to answer your question, yeah, I, we, I think we do have to kind of pick a horse, really, between Ramsey and Ozil. And if we're talking about playing politics, um, you know, Ramsey's got two years to go on his deal and Ozil's got one. And it might be the guy who, who commits to you a bit. And maybe, um, you know, we say to Ramsey, look, Ozil's going. Uh, he's not signing a contract. So... Um, you know, we'll play you as the number 10 and maybe he really wants that. And, you know, we'll give you the free, we'll give you the keys to the team. You'll be the one that gets forward. Um, you know, again, I, I'd, I'd be okay with that. But like I've said... Uh, I mean, in- injury worries aside, obviously. You know, yeah, concerns. yeah. I mean, but I, like I was saying about the Bellerin-Chamberlain thing, I just want Arsene Wenger to fucking well pick something and believe in it and do it. Whether, you know, whether it's the guy I'd back or, you know, we can all have that discussion and we can all agree or disagree. I want him to back a bloody horse and make a decision. It just feels like at the moment, all over the pitch, he doesn't want to make any decisions. He doesn't want to upset people, which is which is why, like, we'll probably have Giroud um, starting again pretty soon. Um, because, you know, he, he's really, really afraid. He's really, really wants to protect their feelings. And... You know, he wants Ramsey in his team, he wants Ozil in his team, he wants Chamberlain in, he wants Bellerin in. And, you know, maybe that, like, three doesn't, you know, like, it doesn't quite fit, the equation doesn't quite go, so he's just shoehorning people, and it's like whack-a-mole, it just gives you a problem. Mm-hmm. And I, I I, tend to agree, the way football is at the moment, I think you've, if you're going to play, I think a tight midfield three is a much better way to go. Um, much in the way you know, you look at that Real Madrid midfield of Modric, Cruz, and Casemiro, and it's just, and and listen, we're not going to get to that level, and I'm not suggesting that um, that that's my expectation. But you look at something like that, and it's and it's just it fits together so well. Even PSG's midfield, um, you know, I know they've just sold Blaise Matuidi, but that kind of Rabiot, Matuidi, Verratti, uh, Verratti, yeah, that that like almost like holy trinity of players who can just knock the ball between each other. You get a ball carrier in there. You get someone like Xhaka who can move the ball distance. You get someone like Ramsey who can move himself distance. And what you really need between those is someone who can carry the ball distance. That, that to me Box, is like... Chamberlain. I, well, the, the funny thing is if we switch... Maybe will share. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we switch to back to a 4-3-3, and I'm not saying we should do that, but if we switch mm. back to a three-man, a true three-man midfield... You could have Ox, I think, next to Shaka with Ramsey ahead yeah. of them. I mean, I, I, I don't he, think that's out of the question. He went. That's for my that. favorite three. Yeah, he went I, for that, didn't he, last season? And then he played it at West Brom, and he's never played it since the West Brom game. So yeah, it's really weird. I mean, there, there's there are players that seem to be suited for certain roles based on their their profile and their their skill set, and the manager doesn't seem to either see it or want to use him that way. I mean, Ox, he is referred to as a central midfielder. He issues every opportunity to use him there. Kolasinac, he said, he's a wingback when he bought him. He hasn't played him there yet. Even when he had the chance to make substitutions to put him into that position, he hasn't. Lacazette is a center striker. That's what he is. He's supporting Danny Welbeck in these first two games. I mean, at least, you know, nominally, but at least to a certain extent. There's a lot of curious decisions like that being made. And we saw it with Shaka next year where he said, where he said, uh, Oh, he's a box-to-box midfielder, and then he's a more advanced midfielder. There's a deeper-lying midfielder. It takes him a while to sort of figure these players out. Clive, um, uh, I should mention that uh, once we started uh, insulting Mesut Ozil, uh, 
Paul said fuck y'all and dropped off the recording. So uh, you can find Paul on Twitter at Posing in My Pants and, and Paul fuck you too. I'm kidding. We love Paul. He had to run. Uh, Clive, you want to weigh in on, on, on this? I mean, yeah, you, just, you already gave us your midfield more. soliloquy, but I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a coda to that soliloquy. Hey, just a little bit more on the Ramsey thing. We have to contextualize mm-hmm. Ramsey's performance by the fact it's Stoke. And Tim knows what... I, that guy at Stoke, he covers every blade of grass. Maybe structure goes out of his mind. He was desperate to be man of the match. He was desperate to score. He was doing things in a very, you know, very naive way. But if they'd have come off, he'd have looked very, very good. And you heard me talk about what I call interior and exterior players. Player who, players who play on the outside, players who play on the inside. I see Ramsey as an interior player that can break to the outside. But he shouldn't be starting on the outside. When we've got good possession, he shouldn't be standing offside because he hasn't got the speed. What he has got is timing of arrival. So he needs to be smarter how he arrives. When he arrives at a third-man run, he looks quick. When he's standing on the last man, we don't want him standing on the last man because he's never going to win a sprint off a standing start of a central defender like Kurt Zuma. Why stand on his toes? Go into the half space, offer Xhaka a passing lane, be smart, build the play. This is what he needs to work out. If he was to reduce the space he controlled, I think he could be world-class. His issue is he tries to do too much at times. And I've said it before, he's a Rolls-Royce going forward and he's a Skoda coming backwards. <laughs> Until we sort that situation out, we are going to be open. So we have to, we have to decide. I don't mind watching it, but we have to decide how we want to play. We have to decide how serious we are about our central midfield. This guy's got all the talent, but I'm afraid the way he plays with a deferent char- character like Ozil, as Tim alluded to, who owns his team? Who owns his team? When Alexis is there, fine enough, the balance works better because Alexis works back and they share it between the three. As we saw in the cup final, the three of them were unstoppable with Shaka in behind them. So maybe that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Alexis to come back to maybe reduce the effort that Ramsey has to put in, and then we'll get a much more considered midfield, which which we saw towards the end of last season. Yeah, and, and can I... Okay, fine. I won't talk at all. Go, Tim. I just wanted to add, just to give a bit of like historical context to this, in terms of, you know, my choose a fucking horse and go for it. You know, 10 years ago, Arsene Wenger had Cesc Fabregas coming through, and he realised that Vieira and Fabregas couldn't coexist. Yeah. He realised that Omri and Fabregas couldn't coexist. And so he sold Vieira and Omri. And make no mistake, they were sold. OK, that was our decision. Look at when the transfers went through, June. Yeah. They were sold because he backed Cesc Fabregas. And you can argue whether that was the right decision or not. It might not have been. But he was decisive. He chose his horse. He realised he had to clear out some big players to make it work. And he did it. there you go. And, and he did it, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you can argue whether that was right or wrong, but he made a clear decision. He went, right, I need 4-5-1 to, make Fabri- to give Fabregas the keys to this team. Omri can't play in that, and we can't have Vieira next to him. So he cleared them out. Within a yep. year of one another, he cleared them out. And really quickly, Tim, with urgency. Yeah. And, and that sends a message. He sent a message to everybody to say, "Wow, he's serious. He has a plan right now. You, you're doing exactly what you said. He doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings, right? And when you when you see a it's man like my that, <laughs> yeah, when you see, well, 
I spoke to a few of my mates, I spoke to my mate was, was in the car park out in Stoke, going mad at the fact we've had 77% possession and lost a game. Those people are up there like, Tim, I'm, not, I'm afraid they're not very happy, right? I was on my set E, and it's different, right? So um, he needs to sort this out. He needs to be better. He can't get everything right, obviously. Right? He has to be more decisive. To say that. He has to be more he decisive. Just, he just needs to decide. Thank you, Elliot. Thank and, you. And, and he needs to decide. Everything he does. And I think what we are seeing is not an addled brain of an old man. I think what we are seeing is a, a man who maybe is not at his, at his best anymore, is not at the the leading edge of the game like he was and also has too many responsibilities on his shoulder to possibly be able to handle them all in a decisive way. Football has gotten bigger since he's come to the club. The club has gotten bigger. He now has responsibilities that didn't exist when he was first there. He has issues he has to deal with with players and agents and contracts and the you know he talks about I have 300 staff I'm responsible for well he does I mean there's probably three times the number of staff at Arsenal there was when he first arrived um it's just it's it's not a game for managers to have total control and certainly not managers in their you know the in their the sunset of their career in my opinion the dusk of their career or however you want to say that if you were more eloquent and articulate than I am tim one of the things that scares me is when the manager gets backed into a wall a little bit and and let's face it we're a little bit lucky on opening day We are a little unlucky in the second game, but now he's going into a big game away at Anfield. And my my fear is that actually he will feel compelled to change it and tinker and that the tinkering will lead to some worse decisions. Now, in theory, Koscielny comes back in, Alexis comes back in. First of all, do you think those two things will happen? And how worried are you that the solution he tries to find is worse than the problem he's trying to fix? Yeah, I think those two will come back in. Yeah, I kind of share that concern because I, you know, I still think he won't make the call between Bellerin and Chamberlain and we'll have one on the right and one on the left. Um, He might do something like put Francis Coquelin in or something like that. I can absolutely see Shaka Shaka being taken out because he gave the ball away for two goals in the first two games and it being Ramsey and Coquelin. I can absolutely see that, which, by the way, disaster. Yeah, because Liverpool murder you on that, and I really don't think that Coquelin's the player to solve that particular problem. But that's that's going to be a massive, massive worry for us. Um, because if we're it's sloppy Liverpool's with the ball, point. and and I know I'm now just interrupting you for no reason at all, but if that's we're what? sloppy on the ball the way we have been the first two games, you can't do that against Klopp's counter press like that. That's disaster. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I. I mean, I don't really know what he'll do. Like I say, I don't think he'll make that call at wing-back. I think he'll continue not to make that decision. Um, and, yeah, I think we will see Alexis come back into the team. I wouldn't be too surprised if he, like, starts Giroud, um, for example, because he might make the decision that he wants to go over the top of the press, um, which is what he tried to do at Anfield last year with Giroud and Welbeck. And he tried to play them as a kind of front two. and It, it, it was diabolical, really work, if I remember but, correctly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But he, but he probably won't do that again. He probably will start um, with Alexis, and yeah, it's it it is quite worrying. Um, I think he could really, really just solve quite a few issues by picking one of the right wing backs that he likes and playing, you know, Kalasinac at, at left wing back, you know, Monreal and Koscielny, uh in as sorry, Monreal's like the left-sided centre back, which by the way, I think is a role he's absolutely perfect for over on that left-hand side. Um, I think that's absolutely fine. Um, And, you know, probably Mustafi in the middle. And 
So hopefully, at the very least, the back three will have a bit more of a familiar look. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about what he does uh, in the wing-back positions and what he does in central midfield um, as well, because, yeah, he's made some quite odd, baffling decisions, so it's really difficult to read, and it'll be interesting to see if he's got a plan. Um, To be fair, he has got you know, eight days to prepare for a trip to Anfield, which um, is a liberty we don't often get. We're usually coming off the back of, you know, and, we often actually play there in midweek. And but. they play they play midweek. I mean, granted, they have yeah. a decent little lead, but I certainly don't think with the Champions League on the line, you screw around with the second leg of a qualifier. No, no, big time. And obviously they've, they've got issues with Coutinho as well. Um, I know they rested some players on Saturday against Palace, so... It's obviously, you know, in their minds, they're not absolutely unbeatable. Um, but we, well, shit. you know, we, I mean, they could have they could have shipped four or five goals in that first leg. So they're, yeah, they, yeah, they're going to have to be vigilant. I mean, uh, well, let me just ask you. I mean, forget what you think he'll do. What what eleven would you love to see him put out at Anfield on Sunday? So I'd like to see Monreal left uh, sided centre half, Kashani uh, right side, Mustafi in the middle. I like to see Kolasinac uh, and Bellerin as the wing backs. Um, I would probably stick with Xhaka and Ramsey um, in midfield. Um, I would still have reservations about that, but I still think it's the best we've got, which is a problem in itself. Hmm. And then I would put Ozil and Alexis behind Lacazette. I think that is as close. That's tasty. <laughs> it's tasty. That, I mean, you're going to score that, goals. <laughs> that might be, that 11 might be on paper what, probably our first choice 11 should be really i have um, never seen a defense look more vulnerable once you get the ball in their final third than they looked in midweek in their champions league qualifier and i just think if that's the level of defending they do then maybe you just try to beat them four three yeah 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 maybe maybe um clive what about you how would how would you like to see him line up you got any differences from tim's 11 not not massively i can see well bet playing and uh, the reason why, and if Alexis isn't fit enough to start him on the bench, that, but it all depends on his fitness. But I can see Welbeck playing. I, I just think, I, I agree that we need to get out. I think Lacazette is really good at making space down the sides. He's a very smart player, very strong core. He's really got a real strong centre of gravity, so he can hold it up. With Liverpool, you must have the threat of speed. Otherwise, they push you into a small space and quick passes transition through you. Right? So, if you must make the pitch bigger and you must, you must make them travel long distances into your area. So, our exit strategy has got to be brilliant, and we must play in their half. If we play in their half, they are rubbish. But if we play in our half, we're going to get killed. But you know what? They're not very good. They are. I, I think they got issues on 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 fullbacks. Trent Alexander is actually a fantastic player, but he's only 13. Uh, we need to we need to watch him, but I just think we need to be as smart how we exit out of our out of our half. If we get that right, once we're in their half, we are far superior to any team they've played. And Hoffenheim had about six or seven chances, and we'll create just the same. But hopefully, we'll finish it this time. Yeah, I mean that that would be my hope as well. I, look, I think I think you have to you have to try to score with them because I, I don't think you can count on your defense. I mean, obviously for us, but but especially given how vulnerable they look. And they're going to play their game. I mean, the one nice thing about Liverpool is they're not going to change their strategy to to attack 
us. I mean, may, maybe they'll target a specific side or however you want to look at it, but we know what they're going to try to do. I mean, is there maybe an argument that they're just so bad at dealing with balls into the box and they're so bad on set pieces that, that hold, hold your ears for a minute, that maybe it is right to start Giroud, Alexis, and Lacazette? I mean, I, I guess there's no way to do that. So it would be Giroud, Alexis, and Ozil or Lacazette. Well, is there, an argument, is there an argument that Ozil doesn't play? I mean, it's, you know, he, his delivery is, is among the best. This, this is the problem, right? So, so this leads me to my last point and what I really wanted to touch on just quickly, Tim. We've talked about this. You're the one who made the analogy that we keep referencing on this pod because we are devoid of any original ideas. <laughs> um, the building the plane in flight. The squad construction is as muddied as it has ever been, and that's saying something. We're selling center backs when we're not playing any because we don't have any. We're playing midfielders as wingbacks and wingbacks on the wrong wingback and wingbacks who are better as center backs. Um, we're playing all kinds of players in positions that don't necessarily suit them in formations we're not necessarily used to. And you start talking about, well, we can't get Giroud in because then it's Ozil or Lacazette. And if we play Lacazette, well, do we have the height and the power? And the midfield is Shaka Ramsey, which we're not even sure is workable for big games, but there is literally no other pairing you'd remotely trust uh, center, central midfield looks like an obvious no-brainer need, and yet because we've failed to sell any of the players we've tried to sell, we probably can't go back into the market. The fact that we talked at the beginning of the summer about how many sales we had to make, and now they're they're all seemingly staying. Jenkinson went out on loan, so there's another player we can't get off our books. Joel Campbell's tweeting that he's back with the club. He's got a squad number. I mean, I forgot the guy existed. I mean, how... How bad is this squad construction in your mind right now? And, and can we remedy it at all with 10 days left of the window? Do you think we will do anything to meaningfully change the look of the squad? Um, I think players will go. Um, I think, we'll, you know, Lucas Perez will go. I think we might find a home for Debussy and Gibbs. Um, interesting that neither of those players played in the under-23s tonight. Um, which you, which they have been, which I think has been a, you know, fattening them up for sale, really, but keeping them yeah. in the shop window. If we haven't done that, that suggests to me that maybe something's in the offing, and we're actually protecting them from injury at this stage. Um, not least because uh, Cohen Bramall plays left wing back usually for the under 23s, and he's gone. So. Um, we played uh, a lad tonight, De Silva, who's uh, actually it's very common practice in our under-23s not to have a left-back. We kind of use it as a developmental position anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of those players will end up going, um, whether it's permanently or on loan. The ones with one year left will probably be on loan. Uh, sorry, will probably be permanent, even if they're free transfers. Um I don't know what I think is going to happen with Jack Wilshere. Um, I watched a lot of the under-23 game tonight and, um, you know, he looked quite good. He looked quite sharp um, with the obvious caveat that it's the under-23s and it's much slower pace. But uh, I, I don't know what his red card does to, um, to, to Arsene Wenger, whether that makes any kind of decision in his mind, whether that makes any difference. So... Does that red card carry carry a ban to the Premier League games? I believe it does, yeah. I think it does. That'll be three-game ban for violent yeah. conduct. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Well, that's so, three games we don't have to worry about him playing. <laughs> now we just so, got to dodge you know, the other 32. Whether, whether he's out the door, that that might be the, the interesting one. 
um, to keep an eye on. I do think all the others will go probably like on deadline day or something. I I don't think at this stage uh, anyone else is going to come in um, unless something drops like on the last kind of day or two. And and you know like surprises come up um, at that point. Um, I'm not not saying that something this big will happen, but obviously nobody knew about Urzel until the day before. The Wilshire situation last summer didn't develop till deadline day, so kind of surprises can happen. But yeah. as far as I'm concerned, that's what it would be for us to bring someone in. It would be a surprise. Hmm. I, I got to tell you, <laughs> go ahead. At yeah. this moment in time, I don't think that you know, um, I don't think a transfer is in the offing at this moment in time. It will be like a Welbeck situation where he turns up at the training ground and says, "Sign me, please," um, or something like that. I got to tell you, I mean, uh, not and look, Barcelona signed Polino, so and and Vermalen and Club and all these ridiculous, shitty fucking players. But you look at it, and we're crying out for central midfielder. And it's the rare case where a talented one at Nice is on a reasonable release clause, and we didn't we didn't go for it. And Barcelona have only gone and signed him. So I'm talking about Jean Michael Seri. So I mean, you just have to wonder what it takes for Arsenal to want to pull the trigger on a guy to see an area of need and go for it. I mean, I realize he just did that with Lacazette, but presumably it's been four seasons that he's been chasing a player in that position and two summers that he's looked at Lacazette one summer where he decided not to do it. Um, I I just think it's, it's baffling. And I mean, at this point now, if Chambers is really going, he now has to buy a center back, especially if he wants to stick with the system or we're going to be talking about fullbacks and center backs all season long Clive final thoughts on that on how our squad is constructed and if there's a chance to correct any of it before the window closes I think the one surprise may be a centre back I think um, the the problem we have really we've got a number of players with a very similar profile which means they all can't play at the same time for example Chambers and Mustafi are very very similar you know both played right back both spent time in midfield (laughs) both spent time in midfield both may not be quite dominant enough. They're not quick enough to play right back any longer. They're not technical enough to play in centre midfield on a consistent basis. But that right channel, they're very good. And they can both play in the centre, but not really dominant enough to be part one of a two consistently, in my opinion. Mustafi is probably a little bit more physical with his age, right? So, um, so one of those could go. It's quite interesting to see the Inter Milan story with Mustafi on loan. I mean, that's inter- that doesn't just happen. That's probably, that could be a, a word that's out there. And there's rumours that he's not settling so well. So who knows what could happen there? So if I'm thinking there could be a surprise, it could be a centre-back. I think that's one. And it'd be interesting to see if we targeted somebody. I've not heard a single whisper. but um, So yeah, that's how I see it. Centre-mid, we've we, we got the three-star hotels, haven't we, Tim? we got a yeah. bunch of those. Indeed. I think he'll just, I think he'll just polish up the foyer. Try and get him to receive it on the back foot and spin it out the other side and keep the distances close, see if we can get through. Right? So um we'll play one one game, as soon as he messes up, we'll drop him to the bench and put and then we'll put someone else in and we'll we'll all argue amongst ourselves until they make a mistake. But really, we've got a bunch of centre midfield players that all got good attributes, but we're not quite convinced about them as a yeah. fan group. Right, and that's the truth of it. That's why we argue about it so much. So um, we argue. So yeah, you must be, yeah, you must well, be hanging out the wrong people. Everyone just nods and agrees with me, and we all get along great and hold hands and sing kumbaya. And it's fantastic. I discuss. We discuss. Shall we say exactly. we discuss? Um, yeah. So we sh- we shall see. I mean, the, the, the Liverpool game could potentially trigger 
uh, the kind of hectic close to the window that the eight to it old Trafford did uh, yesteryear. I think the thing that worries me, you guys, the thing that is on my mind is on the one hand, we are making the kind of moves that say we are going to win now. We're all in to win now. We're keeping Alexis, risking losing him on a free. Keeping Ozil, risking losing him on a free. Keeping Ox, risking losing him on a free. Again, right there, what, do you, what would you say? 150 million pounds of transfer fees, at least, um, that we're pissing away. We're willing to just let it walk. We've got guys going to final years of contracts. We're keeping Olivier Giroud, who love him or hate him. You probably could have gotten $30 million from a Premier League team for him today. He's over 30 and in, you know, closing in on the final years of his deal. Um, you know, we, we, we are making the decision to forego future opportunity for present success and yet not pushing the boat out far enough to ensure present success. Not bringing in the central midfielder we so clearly need. Not bringing in the extra center back that we so clearly need, especially in light of recent transactions. And that is the thing I don't get. Arson, if you want to go for it right now and be short-termist, you've earned the right. You had to think long-term after the stadium move. Sure. Blow the whole stack of cash. Bring in all the players. Be ruthless. Get rid of guys you don't think are good enough and go for it. Even if I disagree with what you said, I'll agree with what you're trying. But to half-ass it. To risk losing these key guys for free in a season where we clearly do not have the squad to potentially even claw back into the top four, let alone challenge for the league, is insanity. It will lead to a season next season that could be epically horrendous, which would be great for content. So thanks, Arson. We appreciate that. Um, you know, And then he fucks off, and it's a new manager looking at a squad that finished, what, seventh, eighth, um, doesn't have the cash from sales that it could have had, and is now trying to rebuild. I... I just think it is a perplexing situation that we are in. And on that note, up the arsenal. Uh, and yeah, uh, let's go win at Anfield. So uh, Paul's already gone. He's on Twitter at Posn in My Pants. He uh, would be happy to take any criticism for this podcast that you'd like to meet out. Tim is on Twitter at Stoberto. Uh, Tim, as, as always, thank you. My pleasure. And uh, Tim's got a column coming out on our, uh, our wingback issue du jour, so look for that uh, coming out. Is that always Thursday, Tim? Is that when that'll be out? Yes. All righty then. And uh, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PAFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you, young man. Well, if you say so. Uh, yeah, Clive does not have a column coming out Thursday. Is that correct? I don't, but I'll be, I'll be retweeting Tim's and criticizing it. Well, no, commenting on it, as we always Commenting, do. commenting, <laughs> discussing. That's right. My name's yeah. Elliot Smith. You should be blocking me on Twitter, at Yankee Gunner. Uh, I am happy to not take any of the abuse for the opinions uh, that were put forth today. Uh, in any event, please give us five-star review and write nasty stuff about us in the comments section. We will be back. Potentially, we're, we're debating internally whether to do a match preview or not. To be fair, Tim is doing video previews this season, and they are far superior to anything that we would do uh, on, the, on this podcast. So it may be a case where we just punt and let Tim handle that uh, in, his, in his way and then just do these post-match podcasts because, as I have been told, uh, the team apparently finds this tedious enough as it is. In any event, <clears throat> we'll be back. We enjoy it. Thank you for listening, and uh, talk to you after Anfield. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.